initially it was just an interest and we started this podcast earlier this year simply I, I mean I, I sort of pitched it out there to Leslie because I was like I need a creative project and this one is I mean sumo is just incredibly fascinating to me and I would never have gotten it done like I she's she's more of like the person who has an idea and follow through and she actually gets things done I'm just like yeah sure I'll do it but then things <laughs> fall apart so it was so, mostly her so I was like let's do this let's do it weekly it might be absolutely ridiculous but you know what I the more I look into the sumo coverage out there in America there's there's not as much as I would like. Like, I have a lot more questions about sumo that are not being answered. So let's answer them. And you know what? I don't see, I think I only, I found one other female voice in the sumo media, which was Sumo Mainichi. And so I was like, why not? Like, let's try this thing. And if it fails, it doesn't go anywhere. That's fine. But at least we'll have fun trying and we're going to learn something in the process. Hi there, I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie from Sumo, Sumo Kaboom. Kaboom. And we're sitting here listening to No, no Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. Even as the coronavirus pandemic continues and the number of COVID-19 cases soar, both in the U.S. and the world, there appears to be a revival of interest in the sport of sumo in the United States. The Councilate Cup Sumo Tournament was held in October in Austin, Texas and organized by Dark Circle Sumo and the Dark Clan Fight Lab. Despite COVID-19 restrictions and a relatively small group of wrestlers, this event was deemed so successful that Dark Circle Sumo was chosen by the U.S. Sumo Federation to host the 2021 U.S. National Sumo Championship in Austin, scheduled for June of next year. A women's sumo tournament is also planned to be held in Texas next year. Interest also appears to be growing in the U.S. about professional sumo in Japan. Several websites regularly discuss the results of the Japanese sumo tournaments, known as bashos, and post videos as well. In March of this year, two sisters from Texas, Leslie and Laurie Collins, who are humongous sumo fans, started a podcast with the appropriately bombastic name of Sumo Kaboom. As shutdowns, quarantines, and all the effects of the pandemic disrupted life all over the globe, they found time to produce a weekly show focusing on sumo, both in Japan and the world. With backgrounds in comedy and performing, they found a formula to make their presentations and discussions of sumo entertaining and enlightening to those familiar with the sport and to those who know little or nothing about it. 
To find out more about Sumo Kaboom, we spoke to Leslie Collins and Lori Collins by Skype Sunday. But before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, creator of the patented Skulls Double End Bag, is the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls double-end bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, that's Skulls with a Z, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Instagram and Facebook at Skulls with a Z Combat Sports. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Hello everyone around the world, welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. If you've been following the sport of sumo, either from Japan or anywhere else, you know there seems to be a growth of interest in it, including in the United States. And part of that growth and interest is reflected in a relatively new podcast that started this year by two longtime aficionados of sumo, Leslie and Laurie Collins, Americans from the state of Texas. They have a podcast called Sumo Kaboom. I've been listening to a number of episodes of that, and you should too. And we're going to find out more about that because we have them on the line by Skype. And Leslie and Laurie Collins, welcome to No Holds Barred. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. We're glad you could be with us and tell us how you started and why you started Sumo Kaboom and the name also. It's it's an interesting name. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to take this or you want me to? Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Try to try to identify yourself with also so we know yeah so you know our voices oh this, yeah let's do that first this is leslie Larry's always shouting uh this is sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'm usually the one laughing and i have a slightly lower voice that's okay. me Larry. okay great um well for me i'll just talk about me uh i was i worked in japan for about a year like in 1990 to 99 and while I was working in Japan, um, someone took me to see a sumo tournament. And so I came into sumo in Tokyo and 
when I was watching sumo, I came in at the same time as Akibono, Musashimaru, the Takanahana, Wakanahana brothers. I came in at um, a really big time, and I didn't really know it or understand that we had uh, two American Yokozunas at the time. But anyway, um, long story short, I became a huge fan. Uh, I moved back home and then there was no way to really watch sumo. So sumo kind of fell on the wayside for me personally. And I'd always loved it, but just, you couldn't, you just couldn't keep up with it. So cut to, uh, years later, I'm living in LA and I find the NHK World News Network. And through that, I you know, this is at the time when everything on the television was driving me crazy anyway, so I kind of appreciated getting my news and watching other television programs through that that app. And so I found Grand Sumo highlights. And then once I started to watch those again, it all came back and it was very new in, in another way because obviously all the wrestlers had changed. And there's Hakaho and there's Kakaru and there's, there's just so much excitement to it. So uh, when I moved back home to Texas from Los Angeles, um, I would watch it on the television downstairs because that was the one device that I could get the NHK World News Network. And so uh, we have like a big open room where like if you're watching TV, you're in the kitchen. It's a, it's a big open space. So mom and dad kept walking through and they didn't take much interest to me watching sumo. But my sister, Laurie, did. She started to like peek in and be like now what what is this and so i would sort of be like oh oh you don't know oh this is kakadu or this is hako and and then she can talk about it but she has such a background in yoga and she has a fascination with body and um and what the wrestlers are actually doing um that i think that that's what sucked her in initially plus i think hakaho was actually maybe the real reason i'll let you say but that's that's how we became fans um again and why we decided well you can talk about like why we decided to do the podcast yeah uh yeah so i got interested in sumo through leslie uh through uh yeah seriously walking through the room and <laughs> asking what is that sport that you're watching and then i started to watch those, uh, you know, the little, the little like Sumopedia highlights on NHK. I started learning more about the sport through those. And the more I learned, the more fascinated I became. Actually, Mitake Omi was my first sumo That's love, right. was the one I was really fascinated with the she's, most because of his open hips. Yeah, um, she started to get invested in the wrestlers. I, I did. Like, sumo for me, I am, I, I'm never gonna tell anyone I'm a sumo expert. I'm a sumo fan first and foremost and I'm amazed by their athleticism and their bodies and how they train I'm absolutely amazed by that um, so initially it was just an interest and we started this podcast earlier this year simply I, I mean I, I sort of pitched it out there to Leslie because I was like I need a creative project and this one <laughs> is I mean, sumo is just incredibly fascinating to me, and I would never have gotten it done. Like, I, she's she's more of like the person who has an idea and follow through, and she actually gets things done. I'm just like, yeah, sure, I'll do it, but then things <laughs> fall apart. So it was so, mostly her. So I was like, let's do this. Let's do it weekly. It might be absolutely ridiculous, 
But you know what? I the more I look into the sumo coverage out there in America, there's there's not as much as I would like. Like I have a lot more questions about sumo that are not being answered. So let's answer them. And you know what? I don't see I think I only I found one other female voice in the sumo media, which was Sumo Mainichi. And so I was like, why not? Like, let's try this thing. And if it fails, it doesn't go anywhere. That's fine. But at least we'll have fun trying and we're going to learn something in the process. Yeah. I mean, so the, that's why we started. The stakes were kind of low. We were like, well, if we fail, there's only like maybe 30 people who would listen at this yeah. point to yeah. know if it was uh, terrible. <laughs> but, you know, like many things, the more you learn, the more fascinating it becomes. And so now it gets easier to make these podcasts. I mean, we're not making, we haven't made a thousand podcasts like you have, Eddie, <laughs> but we're, we're on number 43. <laughs> well, that's good because a lot of, a lot of podcasts fall by the wayside after uh, 10 or 12 uh, episodes. I've seen yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Most do. Most never make it past 10. Yeah, we share the workload, so I think that helps as far as editing and um, social media and all that kind of stuff. Like, it helps having two people do it. Yeah. So that sort of describes your your interest in it, which you decided to turn to media. And was it to express your love of the sport or to get others interested in it or, or both in terms of doing the podcast? Initially... It was for our own self-interest, but I would say now it has very it it has become different for me personally. Now it's very much about community. Uh, now that we're meeting more people who have a shared interest in the sport, now I feel like our podcast our podcast is way more generative than I could have ever imagined. Now it's about pulling all of these people together that either are sumo wrestlers or who have loved ones who are involved in sumo or who are just plain sumo wrestler fans like we are and just want to have someone else to talk with about their love of Hakuho or Inho or whomever. Um, but it's very much about connections now yeah. and I didn't realize that in the beginning. I didn't realize that it was gonna be about that. Yeah, I think one of the most beautiful parts is how we have met a community that kind of feels like if you play Dungeons and Dragons, it's like that world that you, <laughs> of fans of Dungeons and Dragons that you kind of find. And I feel like Sumo's world of Sumo fandom is similar in some ways where you're like, we're all these beautiful sumo fan odd 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 birds. Well, yeah, and we because find they are that. odd birds. They are odd birds. people that follow us are just as strange as we are. Like we think we're odd because you know we like gardening and we like sumo. We we just like a lot of different things. We like making homemade jam. Yeah. And people that follow us are like homemade knitters. They love corgis. They love. I mean, they're I, just as bizarre as we are. Well, we love it. I, I find actually that the sumo fandom world is is a rather inclusive group you know not that i stalk a lot of our 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 followers but i find that there's a commonality and and maybe it's the acceptance of like the sport that is traditionally bigger people bigger body people um it's a you know it's a japanese culture so i think a lot of people that 
follow us or seem to be like-minded where they appreciate um, other cultures, other, cultures yeah. other types of bodies. They have different points of view as far as that, that goes and, and it's non-judgmental. So I think that that really in the end, I was su not surprised, but um, the people that seem to be active in the world are just like cool people that are like-minded as Larry and I are open and accepting and inclusive. You know, I one thing in the combat sports, particularly the more martial arts and wrestling oriented ones, is that Japan is is like a revered place because of that. Even though those sports didn't originate in Japan and go back many uh, thousands of years earlier, just the the culture there that reveres all these and honors all these is something that you don't have in the US yeah. and it's it's also something and you've discussed this a little bit on on your show when you had uh, Derek Garza on is that in sumo at least outwardly in terms of what they present to the public there's an aura of respect everybody yeah. respects everybody and it's not just the traditional Japanese bowing but even when you see the interviews with the wrestlers afterwards, the ones that have won, they don't get involved in the trash talking that you see in mm, MMA yeah. or boxing or pro wrestling or that mm -hmm. type of stuff in the West. And I always maintain there are a lot of people that want to see that, even in a place like the United States, that want to see very respectful uh, attitudes and actions towards each other. And that's something that despite the uh, heavily ritualized presentation by the Japan Sumo Association of their professional sumo that attracts a lot of people to watch it. You know you're watching something that, I mean, realistically, you could have the whole, the whole family watching it. Right. And, exactly. and, you know, that that's something I think is an important selling point of it that hasn't been emphasize enough and I also don't think the Japan Sumo Association cares about what goes on outside of Japan except to uh, Japanese people li who are living outside of Japan I don't think they have any interest in marketing it anywhere else well I, I don't know about that but I do want to say something about your your previous point um, and I had not thought about that the trash talking so much in American wrestling and some of those American sports, but you're right in that it completely turns me off, and that is why I don't watch those sports in America. But we're also not reality TV people either. I think it's like what people prefer. You know, people love Beverly Hills Housewives. People love. Uh, not me. Well, exactly. <laughs> but like different strokes for different folks. There's a lot of people who like that and that's their fantasy. That's their wonderful, weird world that they're in. And I'm not part of that. It's not my personality type, nor is it yours, I have yeah. to say. But as far as Japanese culture and sumo, the ritualistic, the history and all of that, it, it pulls a different type of person in. And I think it's the type of person who probably isn't that type of trash talking loud. You know, it's just it's really yeah. completely different yeah and that's great because i hadn't thought about that before and i have to say as far as the reach into the the american um or english language 
uh, world of fans, of sumo fans. I do think, actually, because there's been quite a bit of reach out lately under it's the undercurrent of them trying to figure out um, who in America is creating sumo content. And we know that because we've had uh, people interested in us and asking questions. And um, I wouldn't say that I've seen that necessarily reflected in NHK's presentation, but I definitely would say that, that they are aware that we are out here. And I think they might be playing into what we want to talk about, which is more wrestlers. We want more information and wrestler um, highlights talk like talking about their bouts um more just basically i think more access to wrestlers and a little bit more history i think they've upped their history for us and our insight into the rituals that are that's happening during the the, the bashos and tournaments but i don't know if that comes from the jsa or that comes from japanese media yeah but there is some interest over there somewhere in connecting more with american fans and and knowing what we want i think Right. Well, what I meant about JSA is that they could, if they really wanted to, they could set up an international pro sumo league, and they haven't yep. done. They haven't really done that. They brought in a few wrestlers over the years, mainly Asians from um, Mongolia and a few other places. Mm-hmm. They have some Bulgarians that are in there now, some mm-hmm. uh, Hawaiians, but they, they don't bring in. Uh, African Americans. You, know, you mentioned on the show how the the International Sumo Federation, the amateur group, has uh, national federations all over the world, including in Africa. They don't yeah. bring in people. They don't bring in Africans, and they don't bring in many other people. So that that's something that's different, I think, from what NHK, which has its NHK World, which I think does a really good job. Better than most sports, I'll say, because I do watch a bunch of other sports, in explaining the techniques, yeah. um, in explaining something about the backgrounds. It really depends how much you want to dig, because they'll do their short little daily uh, summary shows showing the highlights, or you could watch the longer shows, and, and there's Sumopedia that they have, and then there mm-hmm. are all sorts of articles um You've mentioned on your show numerous times John Gunning and many others who write articles that are posted in English that are pretty easy to find, you know. But you gotta you gotta look up a lot of that stuff. Um, but I think that the International Sumo Federation theoretically wants to get into the Olympics, but it's nowhere right. near the st- having the state of popularity to to make a dent in the Olympics, and one, one has been pointed out that the Tokyo Olympics, and again, because of COVID-19, we don't, you know, it's scheduled for 2021, but even if it takes place then, will not have sumo on its program, even in Japan, obviously, where there's a huge following for sumo. Yeah. So well, th- there's I think a they difference. Were, I think they were planning on Hakaho being star of the show, but I also think that it's um it's obviously about women they'll never be in the olympics until they have accepted that women can <laughs> do sumo and um until that happens we won't see it um right and which is why i think that the jsa is going to be the jsa and they want to do things 
more or less like they've done for hundreds of years because that's part of its selling point that they're continuing these ancient traditions from whenever it started in the 1600s or yeah. whenever. So, all right, that they're going to do that. But the growth that we've seen in what is now amateur sumo, and you've pointed this out a lot, includes both men and women. And on the recent Councilors Cup, for one example, they had both men and women competing. And if you if, if you follow the sport, I, I try to do this with the old World Sumo League, which floundered to build up interest in the wrestlers and their records, who's winning, who's emerging as a star. That thing failed. But there's starting to be some uh, athletes now that are, that are in the current generation that are coming to the fore. Um, I think it's Jose Galindo, number mm-hmm. two yep. in the U.S., won the Councilors Cup. Uh, in the women's division, Eros Armstrong mm-hmm. is yep. really blazing a path. And and there are others as well. So we're starting to see some of that. But that's why I think your show, when you focus on these wrestlers, you could start to build up interest. People want to hear the athletes. And when they see Americans doing it, and people that live in, you know, California and Texas and wherever, you know, and a lot of them used to live in New Jersey, in the days of Manny Yarborough, um, they can they can relate to it and get attracted more to the sport. So yeah, uh, that's good to know. It's good to know that more people are interested in knowing more about American wrestlers who are doing well. Um, we hadn't heard that exact feedback on our podcast. So it's really nice to hear that from you, Eddie, to, to keep us focused in that direction. Cause we've done, you know, three, three or four episodes well, on Mariah home. Yeah. Mariah, Justin. Yeah. There's a lot of homegrown, uh, you know, stables here. I mean, obviously they're not living like they do in Japan, but, um, it's growing. I think the one main issue is just access. You know, if you break it down and you look at the sport, we live in a we live in a country where we're fat phobic. We um, and not to say that these wrestlers are fat, but it's the the um, the the at first glance, people who don't know about sumo always make that stupid, horrible first joke that it's just a bunch of fat guys in diapers, which breaks my heart because it's so much more than that. It's not it's not it's obviously not that, but it, it's a incredible, beautiful sport. But as Americans, because we are so fat phobic and we um, do not, I mean, we we are so uh, prejudiced against large sized women, especially and men that it discourages people from um, looking into the sport, I think. But the, the truth is we have a ton of interest as far as wrestling goes, judo, jujitsu. There are a lot of them are grappling sports. So it's like, why can't, why can't we kind of bridge that gap and get people interested in sumo? And I think a lot of it has to do with just it being visible and out there. And by doing podcasts, and doing consulate cups, doing these, there's, there's gonna, they're gonna have more tournaments in the future, because I think the consulates cup was successful. Um, the more of that there is, the more 
you know, people might have a chance to see it, especially not in like Corona times. People could actually come see a tournament. It might generate interest. But, you know, hoping that a whole bunch of people happen upon the NHK World News Network app to watch Sumo. It's not on ESPN anymore. There's just no visibility. And we hope in our own little way through fandom, we can sort of pique some interest and find more people who want to do this and connect them because there is a little network there and they are growing. It's just, how do you get it to the masses? And that's major investment and major investment's not going to come until you've got a product that people want to buy. And if it's a podcast that has 10,000 downloads, then sure, maybe somebody will come along and be like, Hey, I'll help you spread your message. But you know, Sumo is still, you know, sitting there with such low visibility here that it's it's um it it could take a while it's selling it has great selling points that the people that have run american sumo or tried to i think underestimated it's very easy to understand even though it's very technical and that's where nhk world does i think a really good job of explaining but it's easy to understand because you're in the doyo the ring and right. you win. Very if, accessible. Yeah, you, can, you push your opponent out, you th- throw them out, or you throw them down and, and they, they hit the mat first. It's easy to understand. And then you could pick up the techniques later, like any yep. like any sport. You could understand baseball pretty easily when you get a base hit or a home run. But the announcers might have to explain, was it a hanging slider or a curveball or a, how fast it was, this type of stuff. So you can get into that, but you can understand, the average person can understand it. And it's also family friendly because I saw this with my own eyes in 2006 when the World Sumo League was in the Meadowlands in New Jersey at a show that was not well attended and that was the episode that I I documented many years ago on No Holds Barred that the kids loved it. A lot of parents brought their kids there and so there are all these huge sumo wrestlers. I don't think they had women on that show but they had all these huge guys and little kids would come up to them and take pictures and were absolutely fascinated by them and they were buying sumo dolls and all of that now the tour failed and that that league failed for a lot of reasons and as i said they never got a tv deal um but when we look at this today all the ingredients are there and i also think like yourselves there's a, a decent segment of people who are disgusted with the nastiness in American culture that dominates the so-called reality TV. You you both are performers, so you know there's no such thing as reality TV. It's yeah. all, they don't have a script, so they don't have to pay writers, but, you know, there's, a, there's a directors, producers, editing, there's all, you know, all the right. stuff that, that goes on there. It's not... To, to, to just let the cameras roll and put up whatever happens and uh, with people people don't grasp all that stuff so I think there's, there's an audience there and I think there's a shift in the culture that we're starting to see away from 
the backbiting, the nastiness, the trash talking, and all that, which I think has always been there, and was always a, a debate in the early days of MMA. Should it be a sport or a spectacle? And a lot of us said a sport, the spectacle aspect won out. Yeah. But I think sumo can is one possibility of filling the bill. Yeah, and I, I think with sumo, though, specifically, to bring it to a wider audience, it's um, it's difficult because um, the Japanese are very homogenous, you know, um, people, and they have protected their national their national support the sport, and they have made sure that it stays unchanged, and that's I think part of the reason why we love it. It's so filled with ritual. the 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 other side of the coin, though, is um, the being able to move quickly to appeal to have social media to have the outreach that as fast as the world works in social media um the jsa because they're such a traditional organization with so many rules um in the in a certain way they do things it just can't move as fast and i think that maybe they lose some momentum on that end with um with the outreach they do a pretty good job with their own actual twitter account it is full of exciting things of wrestlers all the time and i do appreciate that but for um american audiences it's not automatically translated into it's not translated into english so they really only do that for their japanese fans they don't do that and i actually think that would be a very easy um thing for them to do to just be able to have easy access for English language, you know, listeners, is to follow their Twitter and then have access that uh, that the Japanese fans have to the wrestlers, what they're saying, and, and better translations. Yeah, I mean, I've been following this for a long time. JSA is going to stay JSA for the foreseeable <laughs> future, mm-hmm. and if it's going to change, it's going to be from someone else. So right, you they'll be the outside making such a ruckus that they'll probably have to pay attention. Now, what are your current plans now? Because we still have the pandemic going on. Uh, I hope at the Councilors Cup and these other events, they took the proper uh, precautions to protect people because in all over the United States and many places in the world, including in Japan, although it's less in Japan, but... The pandemic is still raging, um, so that's going to limit the events that can take place. Can't, some will be canceled and some will be really limited. What What are your plans now? The The November Basho are recently finished, and the next one is scheduled for January. Uh, again, pending any explosion in the coronavirus crisis. What are your plans over? the next couple of months and heading into 2021 uh we're just going to continue making our weekly podcast and we're hoping that uh everybody's taking the safety precautions they need to stay healthy in all these events we plan to keep covering the uh professional sumo tournaments as long as they have them so we do that every six weeks we've got a new basho there and whenever there's a tournament near us our our hope and plan is to actually get to one live in person so that we can do more interviews with the wrestlers and things like that but we're only going to do that when it's safe 
Um, so we just keep an eye out on what's happening event-wise with the hope that we can get there soon. Um, in between, in between our Basho episodes, we usually do a deep dive into history aspect of the sport or a special on one of the wrestlers or the road to Yokozuna. Um, we're always trying to bring content and explain a lot of it to audiences who, who may not know anything about sumo. So we have kind of two goals. There's, there's other episodes that do other podcasts that do a really good job of breaking down the sport as far as like the, their approach is more play by play, play by play. And we're a little bit more history, culture, fandom. Um, we we definitely have our episodes that are play by plays, but it's our own unique (laughs) way of doing play by plays. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we're not experts, but we like to think we are, but we're not. We we like a good time. We like to follow our own curiosity. So wherever that leads, whether it's looking into why all these guys are wearing band-aids where they're wearing them or it's colors of Milwaukee. Yeah. Like how they get their beautiful aprons. I mean, we're always just following what looks interesting to us and then when we can snag an interview here and there with with somebody we definitely jump on that too um so we we hope that continues to be interesting to people i mean we're just like sitting in quarantine going going a bit crazy so we it is true what larry said it's like we try to follow our interests and because we laugh and we have fun and we find things really interesting about the sport, um, hopefully that that's what relays to our audiences, but it really is continuing forward with just exactly the way we want to, want to do it. Like we're not really influenced by a, a market of we should do it this way or we should do it that way. Like we're not at that point yet. We're, we're just having like a good time uh, doing deep dives into a sport and culture that re- we really find fascinating. Yeah. Here's a prime example. When we do our research on sumo wrestlers, if you look at their Japanese Wikipedia pages, it always has their blood type on it. And so we wondered why the heck, why in Japanese does it include information on their blood type? And so we spent an entire, well, I spent an entire episode <laughs> diving into this cultural idea of blood type in Japan and what that means and what people learn about your personality via blood types. And that how that related to each wrestler. Yes, how that related to wrestlers. wrestling style, yeah. which is fascinating. And I don't think there's many other media outlets <laughs> that are going to cover that sort of information. But it's just what we wanted to cover. Yeah. And we had more people reach out after that episode than any other because yes. they found it really interesting. So there's other people that are finding the things that we find interesting, uh, interesting as well. If people want to listen to your show or follow you on social media, give us uh, the best ways to do that. Oh, Sumo Kaboom. That's our handle at Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. It's uh, Sumo Kaboom. Um, how we came up with Kaboom, I don't know. We just you wanted... Came up with I it. came up with it, but it was something about explosion. <laughs> I don't know, sumo, but we wanted something exciting. Um, so I think we just randomly the, came on. Yeah, and the whole room fell out laughing. So when, we were like, when I, Leslie said, "How about sumo kaboom?" And then we were like, "Okay, that's it. People find it funny. Great." Yeah. All right. So, uh, A- anything you want to say before we wrap this up? 
we always like to hear from our listeners and they can always reach out to us um, or people who haven't listened to us yet. Um, our email, which is sumokaboom at gmail.com. And people are always reaching out, telling us either they like the show or, hey, did you know about this? And so we really enjoy engaging with our fans. So um, please, please join our tribe of, of fun sumo fans and let us know you're there and uh, let us connect up with you as well. And uh, let us know what you're curious about. <laughs> I really enjoy hearing what people are interested in, random as it may be around the sumo. Please find let me know. Something to connect to. Yeah. yeah. I think you two do a great job. It's a very entertaining podcast, and it'll bring people into inter, to get interested in sumo who maybe weren't that interested before, because that's what you do, all these different things. You make it real, you make it human, you make it interesting. So I I really recommend it. And if you know me, I don't recommend too many podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Eddie. That's sweet. Thank you. And we're definitely going to have to talk again. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Great. So it was wonderful having you on. And let's definitely stay in touch. Let's do it. We will. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, creator of the patented Skulls Double-End Bag, is the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double-End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, that's Skulls with a Z, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Instagram and Facebook at Skulls with a Z Combat Sports. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y.com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Hello everyone around the world, welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.